intrepid leaders and welcome to another episode of the leadership blog where we talk about navigating everyday leadership and in today's episode we are talking about leadership through the pandemic none of us would have wished this pandemic on our worst enemy and covid19 has delivered a universal frontal blow lives have been cut short storefronts and schools are closed and large events have and continue to be cancelled travel screeched to a halt and strategic plans or any strategic plans we may have had were upended. This invisible virus required adaptation both individually and collectively to allow us to survive and thrive in an instantaneously altered world. COVID-19 has been an unwanted visitor and professionals have endured and continuing to experience unrelenting pressure, anxiety and uncertainty. As we now start to feel the impact of yet another variant, Omicron, We wanted to speak to someone who was willing to share their experiences over the last 22 months and how they have tried to lead through the pandemic. And so I am delighted to have my good friend and colleague, Dr. Helen Lane, with me to discuss her experiences of leading through the pandemic. Dr. Helen Lane is a consultant physician specialising in diabetes and endocrinology and general internal medicine at Cumtaf Morganog University Health Board. Helen has worked for the health board for the last 15 years and is also a quality improvement skills faculty tutor for health education improvement wales or heiw as they are known in wales having held a number of lead roles in innovation and improvement within the health board for many years and also being the clinical lead for the multidisciplinary qi teams she is also the associate medical director in quality improvement for the health board She's a distinction in clinical leadership. Uh, she's an improvement advisor um, and has recently been a finalist in the Women's Spire Awards 2021. As if that wasn't enough, Helen and our team have recently been successful in winning the NHS Wales Working with Industry Award at the Medi Wales Innovation Awards. They won the award for a quality improvement project working on safer intravenous fluids in acute general hospitals. Uh, very special night for us all. But when Helen is not being a general superstar and having to put up with me, she is a wife and a mum of three lovely boys. She enjoys painting glasses, as in drinking glasses, not spectacles, has an increasing interest in creative writing, which has actually led to the recent publication of a book of poetry with another colleague. The book is called Reflections Through the Waves, Poems of the Pandemic. And I would, and is available on Amazon. And I would uh, strongly encourage you to go ahead and buy a copy because not only is it a wonderful collection of of poetry and poems, um, but what's more, all royalties from the publication of the book will be donated to the three registered charities, um, Young Minds beat and to wish upon a star and we'll put links to the book and all three of those charities um in the in the show notes uh, so that uh, you can easily access them and, and see what they're all about welcome helen and thank you for taking the time to be with us today it's really really quite strange to be sat here in this situation with you given that we work together on a daily basis so how are you doing today very well thank you 
Good, good, good. It's really good to have you with us today. I'm really looking forward to having a conversation with you um, about leadership in particular. And I know that um, uh, these last 18 months have been very challenging for many, many people. So um, I think having some honest reflections about what that looks like and what that feels like for somebody um, working on the front line would be um, hugely, hugely beneficial for lots of people to listen to. So no pressure. Um, but um, so I think, you know, the best place to start really is uh, tell us and tell me and tell the listeners, how have the last 18 months been for you as a clinician in a, in a district general hospital? Um, I think you've already alluded to the fact that a lot of people have had uh, great difficulties, personal and in the workspace over the last uh, 20 months now. Oh, gosh, um, yeah. Close on 22 um, it has him. been <laughs> not at all. Um, it has been very difficult for everyone who works in healthcare and social care, as well as everybody who doesn't, who who in other walks of life. Yeah, but I think the biggest challenge for those people uh, working in the acute sites um, is that you not only have to cope with the mental and physical and emotional challenges of looking after patients in work. Uh, supporting your colleagues and other healthcare staff um, but you also have to consider your own personal life yeah. um, and trying to protect the ones you love and the ones that may be vulnerable yeah. at home uh, so I think it's uh, it has been a very challenging period uh, and I think at the beginning of the pandemic there was an almost a palpable fear um, that you could sense uh, in a lot of the meetings and us as physicians were very well aware that we would have to uh, look after the patients with COVID and those who didn't have COVID uh, and try and protect the latter and you were also very conscious of the patients that weren't uh, in hospital beds that you had to try and protect from the disease. Helen thank you for that um, um, it's really you know it really strikes a chord I mean that's so much to process for you all isn't it um but I wanted to bring you back to one thing in particular and you mentioned fear um and fear is obviously a huge emotion that everybody um has experienced during this last 22 months or so but I just wanted if you wanted to maybe um share a little bit more around your experiences of fear and how that manifested um when you when you went into work every day yeah, I think uh, personally, um, I would admit that I was quite fearful at the beginning. This is a new disease. It's clearly a very dangerous disease. It's something we hadn't experienced before. Yeah. Um, and I saw the way that that fear manifested itself in different ways in the behaviours of my colleagues and the people who work uh, in the health board. And... I think it was a mix of emotions that were exhibited, such as it could be manifested by some people as being defensive and angry, yeah. by others as um, as almost becoming quieter, introvert, and yeah, trying to yeah. deal with their emotions themselves. Uh, and, of course, as time went on in uh, the ex exhibition of more uh, emotion in the form of tears, um, yeah. and some of which were mine. I, I think it was useful for our juniors and uh, nursing staff and, in fact, everybody uh, who works 
in the uh, in the health board to be able to see how some senior people were human too. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, and have that acknowledgement of it's actually occasionally okay not to be okay, uh, yeah. and to discuss that with other people. Um, at the start of the pandemic, we were obviously fearful of contracting the disease ourselves, yeah. which, um, uh, and I was one of the first, despite the PPE, um, to contract COVID. You and were then, quite poorly as well, weren't you? Yes, yes, it was, uh, it certainly brings your own mortality uh, to the forefront. I, rem- I remember and, you rocking up. Sorry to interrupt you, but I, this is a vivid memory for me because I was redeployed into to testing, and I remember you turning up at the testing centre uh, for a test. Yes. Uh, in the Royal Glamorgan, and I just happened to be there because I was doing some site visits with the teams yeah. to make sure everything was okay. And you came in the car, and I was like, "Oh gosh, she doesn't look very well." <laughs> of course, I didn't say yes. that to you. I didn't want to say that to you, but uh, yeah, sorry yeah. to cut across you, but that's. Yeah, and and I think it was uh, then the fear of uh, I don't want to give this to my family members and some of them have um, other comorbidities that may put them at higher risk. Yeah. uh, And that's not a risk that they had taken on. Yeah. Um, And I think it was throughout that period, which was in May last year, uh, that it made me think a lot more about uh, the different outcomes uh, that people have. I'd already seen people pass away from COVID. Yeah. Um, and I had actually started writing a diary at the start yeah. of the pandemic yeah. um, and used to put my thoughts, etc., in this diary. Uh, but when I was unwell and I had to attend my own hospital under the care of my own friends, uh, I had written letters to my family in case I didn't return in the diary. Yeah. And I then realized that I couldn't return to the diary. So uh, I found another way of relieving my thoughts to be able to continue uh, to be a mum and to be a wife, as well as being a doctor and a a clinical leader. Um, I think that the, uh, the conversations that we had, we became a lot closer in a sense as a team clinically uh, on the wards. And I, started to talk to more people who told me they were okay at the first glance yeah to find that they weren't okay and there were a lot of tears and there was a lot of talking but I think the talking and the mentorship and the support from one another helps a lot and I think it also helps with all of the other uh, people who support us to do the job we do yeah um and you know, that includes the porters and the catering staff and because everybody had the same fear, everybody had the same emotions yeah. uh, running through their heads when they had to have those difficult conversations with families yeah. uh, over the telephone who couldn't come in to see their relatives and when we had to hold the phone uh, to people's ears so that they could talk to their loved ones yeah. uh, when you knew it might be the last conversation they have. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that... Uh, emotional stress was to some extent sidelined yeah. every day because you felt that you had to continue the physical and mental challenges of the day and that if you open that emotional box it stops you from being able to work effectively but I think everybody needed a little bit of a of a relief valve yeah no I would agree um and 
we had set up certain sort of um, small groups where three of us maybe once a week or four of us would uh, make half an hour to have a coffee to talk yeah. about anything. Yeah, you, you. what did you used to call that now? Coffee for coping, we called oh, it. Oh, that's it. I like that. Coffee, coffee for, for coping. coping. There's, because um, that's not too dissimilar to... Um, uh, something called randomized coffee trials. I think I've mentioned yes. them to you before. But the coffee for coping, I quite, I quite like that. Um, I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's something it's... our listeners could consider doing if they don't already. That might might be a a strategy they could employ because you know yes. we're still very much in yes. in, the, yes, in that difficult are. position, aren't we? And and I think I think that it's very difficult as a large uh, organization to address well being. Oh yes. Um and often certainly in the middle of the waves when we're at our busiest and you're focusing on sleeping, eating, going to work and trying to uh, deal with some of that, uh, those challenges that it's very difficult, um, you know, to find time to, for example, uh, ring a number and speak to a complete stranger. Yeah. Uh, and I think by the time people get to that point, yeah. it's probably interfering with the way that they work. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. And um, I mean, absolutely. I, one of the things. So for me, the last 22 months has been a different experience because I'm on the shielding list. So I haven't been able to help my colleagues. So I've had conflict in a different way, conflict of not being able to do what I was raised to do and what I consider yeah. myself to be, which is nursing. But I helped, you know, eventually I got right with it and I helped in different ways, in ways that I, I could. But oh, there's so much that you've talked about there that I've kind of jotting down little things to remind me to come back to with you. But um, the, 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 so we've talked about fear as an overarching kind of emotion. The other thing I'm hearing in that as well is conflict. But conflict with um, me and what I need to do as a part of my role and that duty of care to my patients, but me and my duty of care to my family. And, you know, you, we are healthcare staff and not just healthcare staff. There's somebody's wife, brother, sister, um, mother, um, daughter, son, you know, whatever. Um, and, and, and also, you know, there's somebody's friend. They could be somebody's carer. They could. So there's all of these. And I'm just thinking to myself, what? A, and I know there's some discussion now about this great resignation and how resilient people are, but. Crikey, we're 22 months down the line and people are still showing up for work. Mm. Like, mm. what is it about? There's like this secret thing about healthcare staff, whether you're a physician, um, a nurse. I wonder, is it, and I'm, I don't know if this sounds a bit trite, but is it about that sense of purpose, that sense of calling? You know, the reason why you went into healthcare in, in the first place Um the other thing I heard you talk about as well is being authentic. Mm. I just want to talk a little bit more about that because that's one of the things for me I value hugely about you as a physician is your authenticity and your humility. You're not afraid to be vulnerable mm. and you're not afraid to say I'm not doing okay, as you've mm. already said. So I just, and I know you've got some experiences of where you've you've helped others by being that authentic uh, you know, and having that, and led with humility. So, I just wondered if you wanted to, if you had any particular experiences you wanted to draw upon um, with some of the broader healthcare staff, where you 
like you said, when you have yeah. those conversations with them and yeah. eventually they tell you, actually, you know what, I'm not okay. Yeah, I, I think it was uh, the, the reason that you get out of the car in the morning mm. is, as you say, because you want to do some good yeah. in a bad situation. Yeah. And uh, at one point, I had a patient who didn't have COVID uh, but had very serious illnesses. Mm. And I was absolutely determined that he was going to survive that mm. admission. Mm. And uh, one day when he had a setback, that was one of my breaking points. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was almost as if he, his case was an emotional anchor. Yeah. Um, because to a certain extent with COVID, there is so much you can do. Yeah. And there was so much you couldn't do. Yeah. So I think it was at that point that I realized that uh, I wasn't superhuman um, and had some emotions that I had to deal with in order yeah. to carry on. Um, thankfully, uh, he recovered from that setback. And the following day, a colleague that I had missed a Teams call with had sent flowers uh, to the hospital. And... My day had consisted of going to the ward, um, being very relieved that the gentleman in question had improved clinically. Yeah. Uh, I then had a phone call from switchboard to say that somebody had delivered flowers for me. Uh, went down and picked the flowers up. And it was at that point that a porter that I've seen in work for the last 15 years I've been there. Yeah. Um, who who jokes around and said, you know, you've got my flowers, Doc. I said, yes, yes. Am I going to get them every week now? And then I stopped and said to him, how are you? How, how has anyone ever asked you, uh, or you as a group, as porters? Because you take people from A&E, from ambulances, you take them to the wards. Yeah. And they also carry them to rest. Yeah. And I said, you know, none of us have ever seen... Uh, death on the scale that we have at the moment yeah. we've never seen so much grief mm. um we've never seen so much emotion and he started talking to me probably for 25 minutes mm. and it became very clear that they were the unseen support yeah as yeah. many people are that work in the health board so you've got the the catering staff um at the beginning of the pandemic Obviously, they had no screens. They had no protection. Yeah. And they're working with us every day. Of who course, may yeah. be um, knowingly with patients with COVID or even inadvertently not knowing that we're treating somebody with COVID, especially when we had limited testing in the first wave. Yeah. And I was very conscious of the fact that every day you'd walk in to get your lunch, there were certain people within uh, the catering staff who would always ask you how you were. Mm. How are you all coping? How are the wards? Um, and would never really express how frightened they were yeah. about being exposed to that risk, which again wasn't in the job description. Yeah. Um, yeah. That when they took the job, so it was after that that I'd um, and I'd already found some release by writing poetry. Um, so it was after that point that I started to acknowledge uh, the way that they were feeling. Uh, and the more that I did that and shared it, the more other people would approach me to talk. Yeah, yeah. And towards the uh, the third wave, I think I've had a lot of healthcare professionals and different people 
uh, come in to talk about how they feel, which allows them to carry on with the day. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think a lot of people um, have expressed, they've expressed to you, haven't they, how your poetry has resonated with them. So you're, you're almost unlocked. So going back to something you said earlier about um, a an emotional box, that you close an emotional box to be able to carry on what you're doing. Completely understand that, completely get it. But at some point, that box is going to get opened by something or someone or whatever, isn't it? And I have to say, I always thought that that gentleman, you know, was the key to that box for you. Mm. Um, that, that's my experience working alongside you. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, people um, very openly um, shared how impactful your poetry was uh, in helping them to better manage their emotions. So I don't know if you wanted to, and I know a few of them have spoken to you, haven't they, about your poetry and what it's meant to them? Yeah, and I think that the reason um, I wrote the first poem was following a particularly difficult um, on call shift where I had a lot of the conversations with relatives, far too many. Um, and they're, you know, you're promising that you will hold the hands of their loved ones when they pass yeah. and you uh, you uphold those promises. Um, and at that stage, of course, people couldn't see their relatives even at the end of life. No, no. Uh, and possibly even after they'd passed away. Yeah. Um, and... It was following a very difficult on-call that the following day, my children, who were being homeschooled by my husband, and they were probably all sick of seeing each other, so so much of each other every day. Um, Four boys together in a house. Yeah. Yes. Or three boys and a man, I suppose. And by then, a lot of chickens. Um, yes. Oh, yes, and chickens. So I, but I had wanted to cook Sunday lunch because it was a Sunday. And the children seem quite keen on having a Sunday lunch. And I think it because it reflects normality. This is what would have happened before mum was working longer hours and more of the weekends. Um, And they, I I drove to uh, Tesco in in Barry (laughs) to pick up my chicken. Um, And it was at that moment I sat in the car park uh, and just cried and thought I can't go in. Yeah. And is this where I've got to yeah. that I can't be a normal mum? Yeah. And I wrote that first poem in 10 minutes in the car park. Yeah. And as soon as I'd got it on paper, well, mm. it was on my phone, but as soon as I'd got it out of my mind, it allowed me to go in and buy my chicken and make a Sunday lunch and be mum yeah. as opposed to... Yeah remembering all of those things because I had a record of it I had yeah. a record of it that was written uh, on so a... you were I guess in a way emptying your emotional box on onto paper so yes. that you were letting it free yeah in order to be able to carry on with trying yes. to be a bit normal and each one of the poems and we've given a little bit of a sort of preempt as to what the poems were related to at the top of each page but each one of them was about a particular experience. And uh, the my co-author, who's been a friend of mine for a long time, yeah, Sean, yeah. he had come into uh, to my office door. He, his office is across the corridor. And he said one day something about one of the poems because I wasn't sharing them widely. I was just no, showing no. a couple of people. Yeah. And he had come in to say, about one of the poems and I 
was struggling that day. And it was at the very beginning of the day when we both had a lot to do. Yeah. And uh, as he asked and we started talking, it was only a 10-minute, maybe 15-minute conversation. Uh, but it allowed me to realize the value of that friendship. Yes. And that's what made me write one of the poems about lightening the load. Yeah. Because that's how it felt. Yeah. That you could just carry on with the day because you'd already had that. Yeah. These are my emotions. This is how I was feeling. Let's You've rationalized it. it. And then you could carry on with your day. So um, it was shortly after that that one of the chaplains asked me, how are you? I said, oh, I'm okay. She said, why every time do I ask somebody in you know this site, okay. how are you? They say, I'm okay. And I explained to her about the emotional box and how yes. dangerous it is to... Yeah to sort of empty it out uh, at the beginning of uh, a shift or a week. And she, and that's what led to me writing the poem about I'm okay. Yes, yeah. Uh, and it was quite interesting because some of my friends and colleagues who have since uh, thankfully purchased the book, because as we've said, the loyalties are going to charity, all of the loyalties. Yeah. And one of them uh, related particularly to that poem. Yeah. And she's an ITU consultant. Oh, right. okay, but she'd yeah. particularly chosen that one to say, that's how I feel. Yeah. Um, so I think different ones mean different things to different people. Of course, yeah. And any poetry um, is interpretive, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, I don't even know. Is that the right word? I don't know. I'm obviously, you're probably better at words than I am, given the, all your creative writing stuff you've been doing recently. But they are. They're open to interpretation for individuals. And I guess... It's the time, the context, the situation where you find yourself mentally at the point of reading your poem in terms of which, or your poems, in inverted commas, because there's more than one of them, um, and hopefully there'll be many more. Um, but it, it just, for me, it's just so profound um, that they have such an impact on people. But you've been a bit coy, because I also know that you've written poems for staff in particular mm. so not just for mm. you but in, an, in, a, in in so you are being a little bit coy so I just want to put that out there because I think <laughs> that's really important because one of the other things I want to talk about you because one of the things I think that you've done really well as a as a leader um during uh, the pandemic is a you've crossed those multi-professional boundaries which is something I think you've always been very good at anyway but that kind of multi-professional boundaries sometimes we are terrible sometimes we do kind of stick in our silos don't we in mm. terms of multi-professional work and I'm a nurse I'm going to stay in my nursing you know mm. I'm a doctor I'm a whatever mm. um but you span those those roles um as you've quite um quite nicely articulated in our conversation so far um but leadership when you read about leadership it's really all about connection and so that's something um like I said that I think you've done really well um, and you've you've touched on how you've managed to do it a little bit in in the climate. Did you have any other examples of other colleagues maybe who how they did it well, how they connected with others well, and maybe examples where by it didn't work so well? Because I'm just thinking about particularly at the height of the pandemic, you were it wasn't just masks, was mm. it, and aprons? It was the whole kind of like you know so how do you connect with your patients mm. you know and so as a leader how did you help people connect with each other um with all of that going on i think from the patient healthcare staff interface um we i noticed that a lot of the elderly vulnerable 
uh, patients who may have cognitive impairment. Yeah. Uh, found oh, yeah, it cool. very frightening yeah. um, because we must have looked like aliens and they couldn't hear us through the mask, especially yeah. if they had hearing impediment as well. Yeah. Um, and we we made uh, photos of ourselves and put them, yeah. laminated them and had them uh, on, our, on our fronts. And it didn't matter that whether they knew that I was part of the doctor team, but what mattered to some of the confused elderly patients who were scared, yeah. uh, especially those with cognitive impairment, was that they saw the same face without yes. a mask on. Yes. And, for example, one thought that I was her niece, and that was fine. Yeah. Because she saw her niece every day. And that gave Who would come up to the bedside mm. and mm. not a, a person behind a barricade of, yes. of uh, PP, PPE yeah. uh, who was trying to tell her it was okay to be in hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, with regards to how we communicated with each other, I think that camaraderie was was quite strong actually between all of us. Um, it, occasionally, you'd see a little bit of bad behaviour that you'd yeah. think, okay, that's because that person feels threatened, yeah. or they feel very anxious about it. And of course, everybody has their own bucket of stress from what's going on at home. Yeah, of course. Um, and I've lost a good friend now from COVID as well, and a personal friend who has nothing to do with the clinical world. Yeah. Um, so we all have other things going on, and it's about recognising where that stress level is at the start. And I think that was tackled more by it could be as simple as a look in the corridor and a nod of the head. Yeah. Or stopping in the corridor. Yeah. To just say how are things. Yeah. Um, to the other extent of when you saw someone was struggling, especially if their behaviour was different to how it was mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one moment where in the first wave I'd seen a staff nurse who was new to the organisation and he was very compassionate and empathetic and kind and organised. And I remember thinking, if I had my relative in here right now, I'd want you looking after them. Yeah. And in the second wave, I could see that his behavior was a bit different. He was stressed. Yeah. He was fed up. Yeah. And uh, I sat and had a long chat with him because I'd noticed how different things were yeah. from the beginning. Yeah. And we had chats to some of the ward sisters about how we could help staff because certain staff will relate to other people their friends of course they may not be working with their friends uh they may be on different wards yeah uh and we talked about having a sort of buddy system not a formal one Mm -hmm. but making sure that everybody had someone to talk to Yeah. yeah and i think that was one of the most important things as far as i was concerned if i would talk to some of the juniors i would say who do you talk to they may not want to sit there and talk to me or talk to yeah, you no, know, of course. but as long as everybody has got an outlet somehow, that was the important thing. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, so, and I'm listening to you talking, and I guess for me, you know, this, that comes down to having a certain level of emotional intelligence as well, though, doesn't it? To to be have that perception of others, and and not not everybody can do that. And one of the things I'm starting to see and feel, and not. Not necessarily just in healthcare, but in society broader, is this kind of 
and I'm going to say the word out loud and I don't know, but it's this kind of level of selfishness that people have almost forgotten how to socialise. Mm. So whilst verbal communication is hugely important, I think what I'm trying to express is that non-verbal communication is even more important. Mm. That tactile touch of the arm to say, are you, mm. that, that often accompanies mm. that yeah. question, are you okay? Mm-hmm. I'm, as you know, I'm a hugger. Mm. I love to hug. Can't hug. What's, they have to tap somebody's elbow. I mean, where's the connection in that? Mm. And I mean, there's all, there's research out there about um, mm. the benefits of mm. hugging in mm. terms of um, yeah. serotonin and all, all, the, yeah. all those sorts of things. So I guess that's, that's I was inquisitive, I guess, to to understand what if what did it really feel like wearing all of that stuff and then still trying to be able you know smiling behind the mask mm. how can you tell if somebody's smiling mm. how can you tell if somebody's sad and i guess it's that verbalization is what you're talking is asking that question mm. are you okay and then you know knowing when to press and when not to press i suppose because as you say we've got this emotional box and there's a time and a place yeah. for that yeah. to be unlocked isn't yeah. it and, and work might not be that place so i think i think for from my point of view it was allowing everybody the opportunity in other words the door is open it yes. may have not been a physical door yes but the door is open if you wanted to come and talk yes yeah no definitely and i think um and i'm sure there would be lots of people who would kind of vouch for that and i mean i saw that um in you anyway working alongside you albeit quite remotely you know, because I was kind of sidelined because I, because of the, the whole shielding thing. Um, but you know, we kept in, in, in touch yeah. via text and things, and you'd often relate these these stories to me, and um, you know, and I could just feel and sense um the impact that you were having with others, which I think was which was wonderful, which is why you know I wanted to record this podcast with you, uh, in the first place, and so you know going right back to when we first started this conversation you know we talked about fear and I and I kind of pointed out that you know there's all this fear there's this conflict there's these multiple roles going on for people multiple conflict around what's the best thing to do um and also there must now be starting to be some inertia and around covid and the restrictions they keep changing all the time and I don't want to get into sort of political debate about what's right or wrong mm. in terms of the restrictions but all of this must impact on our on our healthcare workforce mm. in terms of their resilience mm. and resilience is a term that is used a lot isn't mm. it and I know you already said that you know I agree with you it's a, a massive undertaking and a massive challenge for any organization not just our health board in terms of how we um, support the well-being of our staff because you can take a horse to water, you can't make a drink. Mm-hmm. She can put all of these strategies out there. And I know one of the things um, was these uh, rest, I don't know what they call them now, rooms where people could mm. go um, and have five minutes rest mm. or, or whatever. But I just wanted to focus a little bit more on, on the resilience element of uh, things. And um, so as a leader, and I think you've probably alluded to it really anyway, how do you... How do you think we should be supporting the resilience of the workforce? I'm not saying you've got any magic answers, but I'm sure you have some views on on what it is we might be able to do to to continue support the the resilience. Uh, I think it is very difficult. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you have got to have not just acknowledgement, but show that you understand 
that the workforce are yeah. emotionally, physically and mentally exhausted. Yeah. Because uh, I think there is a big element of that yeah. at the moment. Yeah. And um, I, I honestly don't think it's one size fits all with regards to keeping people going. But I think that people should take more time to think what's their outlet. Are yeah. they somebody who likes to talk? Are they somebody who likes to paint or, or do, um, you know, sewing, etc.? Yeah, yeah. And I know that with some of the workshops that we've done from the improvement side, it's quite interesting to hear what people have been doing. Yeah. Because um, some people have turned to a creative side, etc. I think in the workplace, it is difficult because we have a lot of pressures at the same time. Yeah. We're not out of COVID yet. We have another wave potentially yeah. on, on the brink of a uh, potentially an even larger wave. Um, but I think that showing the compassion to the staff is really important right now. And as an organisation, mm -hmm. getting people to support each other and getting them to realise that they can make improvements in their workplace that will make life easier for them. Yeah, of course. Um, and taking their own mental health into consideration more yeah. before it gets to breaking point. Yeah. And I guess it's how we help. And it's, it, as, you, as you quite rightly say, this is something for me, I feel like, because I've not been able to really help, or I feel I haven't been able to help others, when I speak to others, they say, you have helped, etc., etc. And that's fine. It's not about me. It's about others. And actually i feel like now's my time in some ways to help as you say to help particularly with the improvement stuff and trying to get people back into a position of you know it's not all mm. awful and there mm. are things that we can do and um but yeah i do really worry about the emotional well-being of our of our workforce um and even i have to say being somebody who's been working from home uh, for the last 22 months broadly uh, also the well-being of those people yes. who have been who've yeah. been sidelined yeah. and are at home and are quite isolated yeah. and you know how do we reach out to those people yeah. and um maintain their emotional resilience because i guess there's a resilience there isn't it yes. for sure because people yes. are rocking up and they come into work yeah so there is a level of resilience um but it's always but but as always we rely on the goodwill of staff don't we and mm. it's always there but mm. it, there's always i think there's a real fear at the moment that that could run out and we, mm. it's time to start making some deposits back mm. into that mm. bank of resilience mm. that bank of trust and that mm. bank building those relationships back up again so 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 the staff feel that they cared for as well mm. as cared about mm. no different to to the approach we take with our patients we always show yeah. our patients that we care about them but we also care for them yes. and, and they broader than just their disease um or whatever else but um so yeah i don't think there's any magic answers i think you're absolutely right but showing compassion i think is, is mm. a great way around that and again i think that's something i've observed you doing time and time again so you are definitely a good role model for compassionate leadership um and by the way listeners she hasn't paid me to say any of this although i could try and get a few dollars out of her maybe <laughs> when we when we finish the recording um so, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I've, I feel quite um, drained just listening to you talking about some of the, the harrowing stuff that you've experienced over the last 22 months. Um, I am uh, hugely grateful for your honesty and your transparency and practicing what you preach and being compassionate and, and being an authentic 
leader by you know demonstrating the difficulties that you experienced in the last uh, 22 months um and just before i start to kind of bring this to a close because um it is quite I, you know i don't want to keep hmm. uh drawing on those reserves uh as it were and practice what i preach i just wondered if if there was anything else that you wanted to say about you know what it's like to have to lead through a, a global pandemic i mean i don't know if there's any sort of last words or last things that you wanted to share ah uh, i would say that life's a continual learning process oh, and that i haven't got all the answers <laughs> yeah uh, because i i think as you say, some of these things are inherent and we all have different skills. Yes. I think I've learned a lot about myself over the last two years. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if nothing else comes of this, then hopefully we'll all be a bit kinder to each other. I think that's one of the the biggest uh, things to yeah. think about yeah. from my point of view. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would agree. Um, and kindness is, is, a, is a huge... Um, is a huge thing, isn't it? Because it's free. It doesn't cost anything. Mm. Um, and it can have such a big impact, mm. can't it? It's the small gestures, isn't it? Absolutely. After I had uh, given one of the poems to one of the domestics, yeah. uh, um, who again were cleaning the, the bedside again yeah. and again, um, yeah. wondering where the patient that they'd had a very brief interaction with the day before had gone. Yeah. Um, I had given uh, that first poem, I just printed it out on a piece of paper and yeah. said thank you at the bottom yeah. and gave it to her. And the following um, the following day that I was in work, she had arranged my not messy office. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know, it depends on your perception of messy, Helen. <laughs> but she had arranged all the thank you cards around the mirror. And, and replaced where one of the a statue was. And it was just so kind, that yes. small gesture to yes. say that she appreciated that. Yeah, no, I agree. And I know we had um, somebody left a little um, note, didn't they, at one of our yes. recent uh, yes. that said thank you. Which was and very it's touching. small things. It is. So it's those small things that make a big difference. They do. And I know, and I don't know, again, I can't attribute this quote. I don't know if it's an anonymous quote, but it, it's been banded around a lot on Twitter and it says, um, if you could be anything, be kind. Mm. You know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I absolutely agree with you, kindness. But I think for some people, being kind can be a challenge, can't it? Because they may feel, it depends. Again, it's about that emotional state mm. of mind. And I'm not a psychologist or anything else. And, so you know, I can't professed yeah. and to, to understand what's going on but kindness also for me one of the biggest things to me is to be more understanding around you don't know what's going on mm. beyond yeah that nurse that doctor yeah. that yes that cater, yeah. you know catering assistant that porter yeah. that you're seeing in work yeah has a life outside of work yeah. we all have lives outside of work yeah. that may be difficult yeah um and so yeah so there's there's some of that in there for me as well Helen, um, I, I've you know I could sit you well you know you and I could chat uh, for a long time yeah. um, anyway. But again, you know I just want to thank you for your honesty um, and agreeing to do this uh, podcast with That's me. No problem at all. Um, and in in return, I I will do my best to get as many copies of your book sold as possible, so that we can get some great money raised for those fantastic three yeah. charities. Again, I'll put the links in the show notes. So just to yeah. try and. Uh, 
and this isn't to detract from the fact that what we've talked about is hugely important, but I feel like we just need to lighten the mood a little bit mm-hmm. uh, to kind of uh, bring us bring this episode uh, to to, a, to an end to a, to a close. And one of the, there are two things that we ask all of our guests, and the first thing um, is uh, I wonder if you've got a leadership quote or a philosophy or a mantra or something that you try and embody on a day-to-day basis that helps you to keep turning up to work and to keep asking other people if they're okay yes and in fact I think you were the one who introduced me to this lady's work uh Maya Angelou oh yes oh I love oh yes um and I can still remember you sending me uh, a video of her talking Yeah. yeah and uh and the the concept of carrying rainbows with you from everyone who's been kind to you or you have loved or cared for in the yeah. past, whether they're alive or dead, to take them with you. Yeah, it's um, beautiful. And I, I, I just think that's really powerful. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's certainly been a big one for me. Yes. Um, and is reflected in some of the poems that actually I've written since the book has been published, yes. following my yeah. p- my friend passing away, etc. So the the that's been, I, I guess, the biggest influence on yeah. me. And um and yes, because you then painted me a beautiful glass that, yes. I, that I drink copious amounts of red wine out of. <laughs> uh, with 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 all rainbow, it's a yes. rainbow. It's beautiful, yeah. Rainbow dot like dotted rainbows is gorgeous, gorgeous glass. Very very clever. That's the first time I actually discovered that you did anything with um, painting glasses, and that you're pretty good at it as well. To be fair. <laughs> So if anybody wants to, you know, commission <laughs> Helen to paint a nice glass for them. Uh, My husband doesn't approve because there's glasses all over oh, the well, table. <laughs> well, but she does a pretty good job. So if anybody wants to commission Helen uh, to, to, you know, maybe she can make a living out of that. And uh, yeah, and uh, that would be really good. No, I'm a huge fan of that video as well. Um, and, I, and I share it uh, whenever I get the opportunity to do so because I do think it's quite impactful because I think we've all got those rainbows. So one of the other things that uh, you may be aware of that we ask our guests before we let them go uh, is the we ask you for three dinner guests, um, dead or alive, real or fictional, uh, that you would like to invite to dinner. So go, who are your three dinner guests? Uh, probably I would choose Maya as one of my dinner guests uh, because I'd like to have hear more about uh, her thoughts and hopefully some more inspiration from her. Yes. Um, I think my second would be Charlie Maxey. Oh, yes. The author of The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse. Yes, great book. Um, because I think it only takes one of the pictures from that book with a quote to change somebody's day. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, and lastly, probably something that nobody else will choose, and that's my father, because he's the biggest influence on me. Oh, that's lovely. You never know, somebody might choose your father. <laughs> <laughs> but that's lovely. Actually, I think you might be the first person that has chosen a member of their own family um, to join them for dinner, so I don't know what that says about people. But that's lovely. There's some great choices there. Um, and three new choices, actually, come to think of it. They're not choices that we've had so far on, on the show, so that's uh, that's also really good. So normally at this point, Helen, I would let you go and we would be saying goodbye to our listeners. But I think I would. it would be remiss of me not for us to read a poem from your book. 
and actually I think the poem we should read is that very first one that you wrote while you were sat in the car uh, given that you've been so honest and candid in sharing that moment with us so uh, shall we read it okay so this one was called not again take a deep breath pick up the phone dial the number and pray that they're home the phone is ringing let's hope it's not them hope mum is okay oh i'm anxious again he's answered the phone he knows it's the ward i steady my voice be clear to be heard my heart is racing the hard truth is told the doctor sounds calm calm voice so controlled i pause for a moment i assume he's still there i long to be next to him to show him i care my quickening heart stops in its tracks my breath is held please take those words back i explain the cold truth heart's heavy i sigh once again we've tried hard i know i can't cry i don't think the voice understands it's not real she was shopping last week keep safe that's the deal is he able to see her would he get here in time i will be with her her hand held in mine i can't hear the words my heart beats too loud I just need to see her. Please say I'm allowed. I try to tell him how sorry I am. The nurse is calling me. We'll, we'll do what we can. I replace the handset, the still of the room. Have I told her I love her? I'll be holding her soon. With despair and sadness, I pick up the phone. He'll know it's me. He shouldn't be alone. Wow. <laughs> that's just, wow, that's amazing. Uh, what a way to bring this episode to a close and so all that remains to be said is a huge thank you to you Helen uh, and again uh, you know thank you for your your openness and your honesty um, and I hope there's an end to this craziness at some point soon um, and to thank our listeners uh, for taking the time to listen to our podcast so until next time it's a goodbye from Helen goodbye everybody and it's a goodbye from us take care Thanks for listening to The Leadership Blog, where we're navigating everyday leadership. This is a non-affiliated podcast, and any views, thoughts and opinions expressed by the hosts or guests belong solely to them, and not necessary to their employer, organisation, committee or other group or individual. <laughs>